for the service. Thank you. Jeff? Awesome. Thanks, Mark. Okay. It's a privilege, isn't it, for us as a church to be able to, uh, uh, to be a part of helping foster children and, and uh, orphans right here in our own city. So thanks, Mark, for your leadership and, um, and really for all that all of you do to make that camp possible. So hope that you're uh, having a good weekend. It's good, uh, good to see everybody. As, um, as you know, we're in a, a series that's uh, taking us through the life of Abraham, and uh, we're going to continue on in that series this morning, and I'm excited uh, for this passage that we'll be looking at and, um, and what God um, will, will do in our lives. And I, I want us to, to do this before we begin. I'd love for us just to go to the Lord and, and just to ask Him before we start just to speak into us today, um, just to kind of go to Him with open hearts and to say, Lord, would you speak? Lord, would you do a, a work in us? And so I want us to pray together. I was reading in the book of Deuteronomy this week, and and I thought about our time together, and, and these words um, really stuck out to me. The Lord is speaking to, to Moses, and it says this, But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you look for him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. You know, with that kind of a truth in mind, let's go to the Lord now, and let's just say, Lord, with all my heart, with all my soul, Lord, would you speak to me? Would you direct me? I didn't come just to come today. I came to be spoken to. And so, Lord, would you do a work? So would you, would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you today for who you are, and um, Lord, I thank you that you know us by name. Lord, I thank you that you know our situation. You know those that are here today, and, and life is going great, and you know those who are here today that are um, that may be deeply challenged. And uh, Lord, we just want to ask you today, wherever we are, we want to pray that you would meet us in this place, and we thank you for the promise that when we're open to you, you will in fact do that. And so, Lord, right now, we just say, Lord, we're open to you. And so even right now, on your own, would you have a, just a quick prayer with the Lord and just say, Lord, I'm open to you. With all my heart, with all my soul, Lord, I'm open to you. Go ahead and do that just on your own. Lord, we love you and we trust you. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I want to begin this morning uh, by asking you a question. Have you ever been told by someone, in all seriousness, probably a person that you trust pretty well, have you ever been told that something would happen to you or maybe to someone you know? And, and what was said, though, seemed so impossible. What this person that you trust, what they said to you that would happen either to you or to someone else, it seemed so impossible that this is how you responded. You responded by laughing. You just started laughing. And your laughter made it unmistakably clear that what you thought that they were saying was not only far-fetched, but it was impossible. There was just no way that it could possibly happen. Or how about this? On the spiritual front, do you ever look at your particular circumstance? Or maybe you look at the circumstance of someone else in your life and, and you think to yourself, wow, there was a time when I thought that there was some hope in that situation, but now I would say things are too far gone. Things are really, they're out of reach for God to do something significant. It seems as though they're just too far gone, even for God himself. Now, we probably wouldn't say that, but we might think that at times. Or maybe there's a person in your life, or maybe it's even a family member, and, and you've watched their life, you've watched their path, and you've thought to yourself, they've gone too far. They're way too far off the path. God would never bring them back. Or maybe it's a situation that just seems too big to you, a marriage struggle that's just too hard to see through. Or maybe it's not a person, it's not a circumstance, 
It's a dream that you once had for your life. You thought that God created you for something great. You thought that there was a dream that he had on your life, something that would bring him glory, something that would bring him honor. But that dream is sort of, it's sort of foggy now. It's sort of past. It's past due. Too much time has gone by. It's out of reach. It's too big. It just seems impossible. This morning, we're going to be challenged from our text about the kind of view that we have of God. You might think of it like this. Ask yourself the question, what kind of view do you have of God? When you think about God, would you say, boy, God is, God is big. I mean, when you think of God, you have a big view of God. Or maybe you would say it like this. When you think of God, actually, it's a, a little bit more like this. You've got maybe more of a, more of a small view of God. And, and, and I think this happens at different points in our lives. We maybe would say, wow, I do have a huge view of God. And then at other points in our lives, we're struggling. And we would say, no, I, I'm, I'm struggling to trust God. I have a small view of God. A big view of God believes that God can do the impossible. A big view of God trusts that God can change hearts. A big view of God believes that God still does supernatural things. If you have a big view of God, you pray big prayers, you ask God to do big things, and you expect that he can and still does do the impossible. A small view of God is is pretty content with the status quo. A small view of God has low expectations for God. A, a, A small view of God leads to a very flat faith. Hope seems pretty diminished. I was talking to a friend on the phone this week, and and I asked him, I said, hey, how are things going? And, and he kind of chuckled and he said, oh, man. And, and then I, and I just knew it was coming with this guy. He just started going on and on about all that God was doing in his life. Things that he's seen God do. Things that you just couldn't say, well, that just happened by chance. No, these are things that God was doing. No, this, this friend has a big view of God. Every time we talk, I just know I'm going to be challenged by it. I know it's coming. People who have a big view of God oftentimes They're very quick with a lot of joy to tell you about the things that God is doing in their life. And they're living with this, what strikes me is this constant expectation that God can and that God will show up. These are the kinds of people that you leave their presence and you're inspired to trust God more with your life. They say things to you like, well, God can do that. I mean, don't give up on that dream. I mean, God can do that. That, Come on, that situation That's not beyond God's ability. They live not with a semi-hearted, half-hearted hope of God and what he can do, but they live with this thing called great expectation that God can and that God will do something significant. And then when he does, they respond with joy and they say things like this, that's totally a God thing. That's totally a God thing. It was said of the renowned theologian Jonathan Edwards, it was said of him that he had a God-entranced worldview, meaning that he was the kind of guy that he had a big, big view of God. So this morning, I want you to take um, a little bit of a, a personal inventory. I want you to maybe put yourself between these two, or maybe you put yourself clear over here, or maybe you land right here, but what is your view of God this morning? Where would, you, where would you put yourself? Where do you typically reside? How big is your God? I was personally convicted this week. I was convicted by the fact that oftentimes I feel like my expectations are too small. My longings are, are too small. 
Here's the thing, though. Regardless of where you and I would put ourselves, for most people, there's a sense, there's an idea, even if we can't articulate it well, that God did, in in fact, create our lives for a significant purpose that would bring him glory and honor. I believe this to the core of my being that that is true for every single person in this room. Psalm 139 says that you were wonderfully made. The scriptures record that, boy, God knows the plans that he has for you. It's not a mystery to him. So there's this longing, there's this healthy longing to see God, maybe see him do what we've stopped expecting him to do. There's a longing to have a big view of God, to trust God, to expect that he will do great things. My prayer for this morning is that we'll leave here today and we'll be reminded from, this, from the text about how big God is and that our view of him will increase and that will inspire our faith and our hope in Christ then will be renewed. In our text this morning, we're gonna see that very thing happen. Just a side note, one of the things I love about the scriptures is that when we go to God's word, we find relevant examples, things that we can look to and we can go, wow, I can relate to what that person feels. I love that. When we go to the scriptures, we get mentored by people who did life, people who messed up, people who succeeded. In addition, this morning to learning from the life of Abraham, we're also going to learn from his wife, Sarah. We're going to end up this morning in Genesis chapter 18 and Genesis chapter 21, but I want to begin with the context of the story, the background that really reminds us of the intensity of the situation that we find in Genesis chapters 18 and 21. And so if you have a Bible, um, turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. We'll put this on the screens as well. This takes us clear back to the beginning of this series. And, and I hope that you have been as challenged as I have as we've gone through this series, as Pastor Steve has preached his heart out in these messages. I hope you've been as challenged and as encouraged as I have been. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. It says, The Lord said to Abram, now Abram, know this, he is 75 years old at this point. 75 years old. He says, leave your country, your people, and your, your uh, father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and, and I will bless you and I will make your name great and, and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. And, and, and don't miss this. He says, and all peoples on earth. Now this is no, no small promise. I mean, God is delivering something big to him, not just one child, but he's saying, but nations will come through you. It says, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you, Abraham. Fast forward in Abraham's life, more time has passed. We get to Genesis chapter 13, verses 14. It says, the Lord said to Abraham, lift up your eyes from where you are and look Look north and look south and east and west and all the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever and I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth. That's a lot. And so that if anyone could count the dust then your offspring could be counted. Hit the fast forward button again and think about where Abraham's view of God would be at this time, at this instance. Genesis chapter 15, verse two. But Abraham said, Oh, sovereign Lord, what can you give me? I mean, you've made this promise to me, but now he says, what can you give me since I still remain childless? I mean, Lord, you made the promise, but now what? What can you possibly do? Abraham's view of God is going from here 
to over there. It is it's shrinking. It seems as though the situation at hand is out of God's scope. While it once was a good plan, now it seems like it is impossible. Verse 3, and Abram, dejected as he was, said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Now, culturally, that would have been the, the thing to do. Verse 5, he, the Lord, took him outside and said, and just, just pause for a second here. Try to picture this. Imagine you're outside with the Lord, and the Lord says to you, I mean, clear night, stars in the sky, look up to the heavens and count the stars, Abraham, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Not just one child, Abraham, but nations of people are promised to you, Abraham. We saw last week then in Genesis chapter 16 that Abraham and his wife decide that the only way that God is going to be able to fulfill this promise that he's made to them over and over is through their servant Hagar. And so that's the route that they pursue. And yet after that happens, after Ishmael is born, the Lord says to Abraham in Genesis 17, now verse 15, now know this, 25 years have passed since the first time that Abraham and Sarah got the promise about this vastness of their offspring, yet they're still childless. Let me ask you a question. Where do you think their view of God is now? How big is their God? Have you ever wanted to stop holding out for God's best? I mean, if you, you had an idea, maybe a spouse in the future that you long to have, and, and you just, you're, you just kind of get tired of waiting, and, and the longer you wait, the harder it gets, and the longer you wait, maybe the smaller that God seems. Genesis 17, verse 15, As for Sarah, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah and I will bless her and surely give you a son by her. I will, I will bless her so that she will be the mother of many nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Notice where the Lord puts the emphasis there. He, put, he repeats it two times. He says, I, I will bless her. I will do what you think is impossible. I will remain faithful to the promise that I made to you. Verse 17, Abraham fell face down and he laughed. This is a laugh of disbelief. This is utterly impossible, Lord. And he said to himself, will a son be born to a man 100 years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? I mean, I mean, come on, Lord, you should take this show on the road. This is a good laugh. You'd make a lot of money. You're good at this. This can't be true. Verse 19, then the Lord said, yes. But your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for, for his descendants after him. And that brings us to chapter 18, and by this time, we know that it's true. The size on this particular issue about this promise, the size of Abraham and Sarah's God is probably very small. Verse 1 of chapter 18, the Lord appeared to Abraham near the great tree of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. And Abraham looked up and he saw three men standing nearby. And, and when he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of the tent to meet them and he bowed down low to the ground. Now Abraham responds here out of, out of humility, out of, out of respect, out of honor for his guests. 
Later in the text, we find some explanation to who these three are. We know that it's the Lord and two angels that are standing right before Abraham. Now, as you can imagine, Abraham didn't simply say, well, hey, thanks for stopping by. It's great to see you. No, no, he, he goes into honor and high hospitality mode, and he says to them, don't just stop by. Let me bring you some water so I can, you can get your feet washed and so some food so that you can be refreshed and And then he has Sarah, has her prepare this extravagant meal. And then the the text says that while they were eating, and you can just picture this, Abraham standing near them underneath the tree. And then Abraham gets asked an important question. Verse 9, Abraham, where is your wife? They asked him. There in the tent, he said. And then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife? will have a son. And you've got to wonder if Abraham at this point is thinking, here we go again on this crazy trip, right? Verse 10, now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent which was behind him. And Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing, to say the least, right women? Verse 12, so Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I am worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? Now before we get too critical of Abraham and Sarah, think of the disappointment that they must have felt in the early years, month after month after month, no baby. Year after year, no baby. Decade after decade, still no baby. They were continually reminded, though, that this promise was was out there. They were continually disappointed. And this was a big identity issue for Sarah. Pastor Steve talked about that last week, that in their culture, this is where she would have gotten her sense of worth to be able to have a child, to be able to have a son. But continuing for her to have hope would have only made it harder. I want to take kind of a time out here in the text because I think this is where it really hits home. What have you maybe written off in your life? I mean, what have you maybe put in the impossible category? What have you said, you know what? That God can't deliver on that. He he just, he can't. What dream might you have given up on that maybe God is just waiting to fulfill? Maybe who you long to become in Christ. Genesis chapter 18, let's keep going, verse 13. It says, then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? And then we get to verse 14, and, and this is crucial really in shaping our view of God. The Lord is speaking to Abraham and he says, is anything too hard for the Lord? The literal translation here is this, is anything too wonderful for the Lord? This isn't about Abraham and Sarah, is it? This is about the Lord and who he is. All this time, Sarah's been focused on the fact that physically this is too hard for her. This is too hard for Abraham, but it's not about them. It's not about them. It's not about their circumstance. It's about who God is, regardless of their circumstance, regardless of our circumstance. Verse 14, I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, and so she lied and said, I I did not laugh. (laughs) And just a a little lesson there, that's not a good idea to lie to God like that, you know? And 
But he said to her, yes, you did laugh, you know, and she's probably like, oh, I forgot, you're God, yeah, right? <laughs> then we get to chapter 21, we see the conclusion of the story, verse 1, a lot of text, hang with me. Verse 1, now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, right, just as he had promised, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. And Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God promised him. Abraham gave him the name Isaac, gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. The name Isaac means this it means he laughs. Isaac would be a constant reminder of God's greatness, of his faithfulness to them. He would be a constant reminder when they thought, oh, God is so small. They would look down at Isaac and go, you remember that? God is huge. Totally transformed, shaped their view of God. Verse 4, when his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has brought me laughter. Now it's a different kind though. This is joyful laughter. Now God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. Yeah, exactly. You're going, yeah, they will. And she added, and this is just a moment of honesty. Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. When Sarah laughs the second time, know, know this. This is not a laugh of, oh, my dream finally came true. Life now is going to be totally comfortable and set. I finally got what I wanted. It's not that. I mean, imagine giving birth as a 90-year-old woman. Was everything comfortable and easy for her? Absolutely not. She's breastfeeding a child at 90. She'll be chasing around a toddler in no time. Life was not easy. Her laughter, though, is a sign of this. It's a sign that her hope in God has been renewed. She's gone from there to saying, God is big. I once thought that that was impossible. But now I laugh out of joy and everybody else looks at this child and they kind of laugh and we chuckle and we go, wow, that's our God. Our God is big. Our circumstances might not change, but our hope, our view of God, it can change. Hebrews chapter 11, and it talks about Abraham and it talks about Sarah and it talks about many other great people of faith. And it says this, it says that they were still living by faith when they died and and then it says, they did not receive the things promised to them. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. Here it is. They were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Know this, Abraham and Sarah, they were commended for the fact that they were living with an eternal perspective. Their view of God, their faith in the end was commended because they were longing for God. They were looking at the things that he had promised and their view of him was reshaped. They had gone from saying, whoa, whoa, we got low faith in God to we have big faith in God. But they were longing for what was promised to them in eternity, a heavenly home. They embraced the reality of who God is and who they were in his sight. The story of, of Isaac and the impossibility of Sarah having this child, it really, it, it foreshadows another woman in the scriptures that it would be an impossibility for her to have a child. And through the line of Abraham, just as God had promised, an angel of the Lord appears to a very young woman, probably 13 years old. Her name is Mary, very young, a virgin girl. 
And the angel appeared to her and said, for nothing is impossible for God. Sound familiar? You will give birth to a son, the son of God, the one who will do the impossible, really for each one of us in this room here today. I mean, think about this. Undoubtedly, the, the greatest event that shapes our view of God is the impossibility that Jesus Christ would leave heaven, that he would come here, live amongst us, that he would leave the laughter of heaven, and he would embrace the death that, on the cross that he would. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says this. It says, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. He left laughter, didn't he? He embraced the cross, but why did he do it? There was, a, there was a joy, there was a future hope for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Here's what that reality, here's what that joy was. It was the reality of embracing you and I. For all of eternity, it brought Jesus joy. Think about this. Think about the size of your God. You and I are forgiven. You and I, get this, we will stand blameless before God because of Jesus Christ. We will stand blameless if we have faith in him. A guy told me this week that his, his brother's wife called him and, and she had bad news. She said, hey, I want you to know your, your brother um, is having an affair on me. Crushing news, right? Now, now he's a follower of Christ, this guy is, and, and um, the guy that's having an affair. And, and his wife said of him, some, I think some pretty profound words, she said, He's forgotten who he is. Think for a second as you consider, okay, what's your view of God? Think about your identity for a second. Remember who you are in Christ. Remember that you are redeemed. Remember you are forgiven. Remember you are a child of God. Remember you are complete. Remember you are chosen. Remember you are a citizen of heaven. Remember that you are not condemned. Remember that you are not forgotten. Remember that you have everything you need in Christ Jesus. How big is your God? Think about your identity. I spent some time this week thinking about the view of God that that different people must have had in the scriptures. You know, I just kind of quickly kind of just kind of think through the different stories that I could remember and, and what maybe was their, what was their view of God? I'll tell you what, if you want some inspiration, if you want to fire up your faith a little bit and you want your view of God to go from small to large, look no further than the scriptures themselves. I thought of Luke chapter seven. We see this centurion man and and he approaches Jesus, and he's got, he's a commander, he's a big shot, and he's got, he's got a sick servant at home, one of his servants who he must just love. And he comes to Jesus, and he, he doesn't say, Jesus, you gotta hurry, you gotta, you gotta hop to it and get to my house. No, no, he says, Jesus, if you just say the word, just say the word, and he will be healed. This guy had a big view of God. Imagine Peter for a second. In Acts chapter two, Peter goes through the gospel, and he preaches to this crowd. And after he's done preaching to them, it says that 3,000 people step forward and say, I'm in. I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. 3,000 people, and then they go and they get baptized. Imagine at that point when Peter thought about his faith and when Peter thought about his God. I mean, his God was big. There's no doubt about it. Think about David for a second. What size do you think David's God was when he stood before this enemy who no one else would fight? The biggest man, surely, that David had ever seen. And David stands before him, you know, not a big guy. 
And he says, you come at me with a sword and a spear and a javelin. He says, but I come at you in the name of the Lord Almighty. What was the view of God that David had? It was huge. Think about the disciples for a second. They're they're mourning the fact that Jesus has been crucified. He's gone. He's been buried in the tomb. And then Jesus reappears to them. And then Jesus says, hey, you put your, go ahead and put your fingers in the, in the hole in my hand where my hand was pierced when I went to the cross. I mean, imagine what their view of God was. That's just a few examples. How big is your God this morning? How big is your God? What things in your life maybe is it time to go back to and just to say, okay, I think that was of God after all, and um, I don't think it's out of God's reach. My God is big. My God is amazing. My God still can and still does do the supernatural. My God is alive and active. My God does speak into my heart and into my life. Regardless of how old you are or how young you are, would you go back to that point? Would you go back to that person and that hope that you had for them? Would you go back to that dream and just realize, okay, maybe God is just doing a work on me right now? But would you cling to the hope of who you are in Christ and to the fact that your God is big? Would you say, you know what, I'll open my mind to the possibility that God has a great vision for my life, for my situation. Would you go back and would you say, God has not given up on me, on it, on them. As I prepared this week, I I thought about how I could just I wish I could just sit across from every single person. And I thought if I could do that, I would say this. What you might think is impossible is possible with God. My prayer for you is that you would take your troubles this morning. My prayer for you is that you take your situations, your dreams, your aspirations, whatever you've got. My prayer is for you, you would take yourself and you would lay it down before God. But not just any God. But you would take it before our God, the one true God, the the big God, the big God who is faithful, who knows who you are, who has your best interest in mind. The God who says this, hey, why did Sarah laugh? I mean, because there's nothing that's too hard for me. We can find great hope in that, right? Hey, we're going to pray together now, and and then Rob's going to come, and we're we're just going to sing this closing song together, and and this song, really, it's a, it's a declaration. And so I just want to encourage you this morning, if, if you have something where you would say, boy, on that particular thing, my view of God is right here. Um, I just want to encourage you this morning, would you go to the Lord and, and would maybe you first just confess and say, God, would you forgive me for that? I have underestimated who you are and what you can do. And, and then would you just Sing, sing the words to the song as a declaration of this is who you are, God. God, you are, you are big. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to reshape my view of you. I'm going to remind myself this morning of who I am in Christ. I am forgiven. I am loved by God. God knows my name. God knows everything about me. God does have things for me in this life that are of huge significance for his honor and for his glory. Might we be that kind of people? Might we be that kind of church that we, we dream big and And we ask big because we believe in a big God. So yeah, let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for your word today. I thank you for the life of Sarah and the life of Abraham. And 
And Lord, we just want to come to you today. And Lord, first we just maybe want to confess and we just want to say, Lord, Lord, would you forgive us? Um, Lord, would you forgive me for the times when my faith is too small? And Lord, would you renew us this morning? Lord, would you energize our perception of you? And Lord, I pray as we sing this song together, Lord, I pray that these words really would be true of our hearts. And God, that this would maybe be a defining moment on how we look at different circumstances, how we look at eternity, how we look at who we are in Christ. And so God, would you form that? Lord, would you take these moments, we pray. Lord, we love you and we pray in Christ's name, amen.